Chapter Eight of El Dorado, by Baroness Orzy, read for LibriVox.org by Karen Savage in June two thousand and seven. Chapter Eight, Arcades Ambo. That is the way we conduct our affairs, citizen," said Heron gruffly, as he once more led his guest back into his office. It was his turn to be complacent now. De Batz, for once in his life, cowed by what he had seen, still wore a look of horror and disgust upon his florid face. "'What devils you all are!' he said at last. "'We are good patriots,' retorted Heron, "'and the tyrant's spawn leads but the life that hundreds of thousands of children led, whilst his father oppressed the people. Nay, what am I saying? He leads a far better, far happier life. He gets plenty to eat, and plenty of warm clothes. Thousands of innocent children, who have not the crimes of a despot father upon their conscience, have to starve whilst he grows fat." The leer in his face was so evil, that once more de Batz felt that eerie feeling of terror creeping into his bones. Here were cruelty and bloodthirsty ferocity personified to their utmost extent. At thought of the Bourbons, or of all those whom he considered had been in the past the oppressors of the people, Heron was nothing but a wild and ravenous beast, hungering for revenge, longing to bury his talons and his fangs into the body of those whose heels had once pressed on his own neck. And de Batz knew that even with millions or countless money at his command, he could not purchase from this carnivorous brute the life and liberty of the son of King Louis. No amount of bribery would accomplish that. It would have to be ingenuity pitted against animal force the wiliness of the fox against the power of the wolf. Even now Heron was darting savagely suspicious looks upon him. "'I shall get rid of the Simon,' he said. "'There's something in that woman's face which I don't trust. They shall go within the next few hours, or as soon as I can lay my hands upon a better patriot than that mealy-mouthed cobbler. And it will be better not to have a woman about the place. Let me see. Today is Thursday, or else Friday morning. By Sunday I'll get those Simons out of the place.' Methought I saw you ogling that woman," he added, bringing his bony fist crashing down on the table so that papers, pen, and inkhorn rattled loudly. And if I thought that you— De Batz thought it well at this point to finger once more nonchalantly the bundle of crisp paper in the pocket of his coat. Only on that one condition," reiterated Heron in a hoarse voice. "If you try to get a capet, I'll drag you to the tribunal with my own hands." "'Always presuming that you can get me, my friend,' murmured de Batz, who was gradually regaining his accustomed composure. Already his active mind was busily at work. One or two things which he had noted in connection with his visit to the Dauphin's prison had struck him as possibly useful in his schemes. But he was disappointed that Heron was getting rid of the Simon. The woman might have been very useful, and more easily got at than a man. The avarice of the French bourgeoise would have proved a promising factor, but this, of course, would now be out of the question.' At the same time, it was not because Heron raved and stormed and uttered cries like a hyena that he, de Batz, meant to give up an enterprise which, if successful, would place millions into his own pocket. As for that meddling Englishman, the Scarlet Pimpernel, and his crack-brained followers, they must be effectually swept out of the way first of all. De Batz felt that they were the real, the most likely hindrance to his schemes. He himself would have to go very cautiously to work, since apparently Heron would not allow him to purchase immunity for himself in that one matter, and whilst he was laying his plans with necessary deliberation so as to ensure his own safety, that accursed Scarlet Pimpernel would mayhap snatch the golden prize from the Temple prison right under his very nose. When he thought of that, the Gascon royalist felt just as vindictive as did the chief agent of the Committee of General Security. While these thoughts were coursing through de Batz's head, Heron had been indulging in a volley of vituperation. 
"'If that little vermin escapes,' he said, "'my life will not be worth an hour's purchase. "'In twenty-four hours I am a dead man, "'thrown to the guillotine like those dogs of aristocrats. "'You say I am a night-bird, citizen. "'I tell you that I do not sleep night or day "'thinking of that brat "'and the means to keep him safely under my hand. "'I have never trusted those Simon. "'Not trusted them?' exclaimed de Batz. "'Surely you could not find anywhere more inhuman monsters.' "'Inhuman monsters?' snarled Heron. "'Bah! They don't do their business thoroughly.' "'We want the tyrant's spawn to become a true Republican and patriot, aye, to make of him such an one, that even if you and your cursed confederates got him by some hellish chance, he would be no use to you as a king, a tyrant to set above the people, to set up in your Versailles, your Louvre, to eat off golden plates and wear satin clothes. You have seen the brat.' By the time he is a man he should forget how to eat save with his fingers, and get roaring drunk every night. That's what we want. To make him so that he shall be no use to you, even if you did get him away. But you shall not. You shall not. Not if I have to strangle him with my own hands." He picked up his short-stemmed pipe, and pulled savagely at it for a while. De Batz was meditating. "'My friend,' he said, after a little while, you are agitating yourself quite unnecessarily, and gravely jeopardising your prospects of getting a comfortable little income through keeping your fingers off my person. Who said I wanted to meddle with the child? You had best not, growled Heron. Exactly. You have said that before. But do you not think that you would be far wiser, instead of directing your undivided attention to my unworthy self, to turn your thoughts a little to one whom, believe me, you have far greater cause to fear? Who is that? The Englishman. "'You mean the man they call the Scarlet Pimpernel?' "'Himself.' "'Have you not suffered from his activity, friend Heron? "'I fancy that citizen Chauvelin and citizen Collot "'would have quite a tale to tell about him. "'They ought both to have been guillotined for that blunder last autumn at Boulogne. "'Take care that the same accusation be not laid at your door this year, my friend,' "'commented de Batz placidly. "'Bah! "'The Scarlet Pimpernel is in Paris even now. "'The devil he is!' "'And on what errand, think you?' There was a moment's silence, and then de Batz continued with slow and dramatic emphasis. "'That of rescuing your most precious prisoner from the temple.' "'How do you know?' Heron queried savagely. "'I guessed.' "'How?' "'I saw a man at the Théâtre National to-day.' "'Well?' "'Who is a member of the League of the Scarlet Pimpernel?' "'Damn him! Where can I find him?' "'Will you sign a receipt for the three thousand five hundred livres which I am pining to hand over to you, my friend, and I will tell you?' "'Where's the money?' "'In my pocket.' Without further words, Heron dragged the inkhorn and a sheet of paper towards him, took up a pen, and wrote a few words rapidly in a loose, scrawly hand. He strewed sand over the writing, then handed it across the table to de Batz. "'Will that do?' he asked briefly. The other was reading the note through carefully. "'I see you only grant me a fortnight,' he remarked casually. For that amount of money it is sufficient. If you want an extension you must pay more." "'So be it,' assented de Batz coolly, as he folded the paper across. "'On the whole, a fortnight's immunity in France these days is quite a pleasant respite. And I prefer to keep in touch with you, friend Heron. I'll call on you again this day fortnight.' He took out a letter-case from his pocket. Out of this he drew a packet of bank-notes which he laid on the table in front of Heron. Then he placed the receipt carefully into the letter-case, and this back into his pocket. Heron, in the meanwhile, was counting over the banknotes. The light of ferocity had entirely gone from his eyes. Momentarily the whole expression of the face was one of satisfied greed. "'Well,' he said at last, when he had assured himself that the number of notes was quite correct, and he had transferred the bundle of crisp papers into an inner pocket of his coat. "'Well, 
What about your friend?' "'I knew him years ago,' rejoined de Batz coolly. "'He is a kinsman of Citizen Saint-Just. I know that he is one of the confederates of the Scarlet Pimpernel.' "'Where does he lodge?' "'That is for you to find out. I saw him at the theatre, and afterwards in the green-room. He was making himself agreeable to the citizeness Lange. I heard him ask for leave to call on her to-morrow at four o'clock. You know where she lodges, of course.' He watched Heron while the latter scribbled a few words on a scrap of paper. Then he quietly rose to go. He took up his cloak, and once again wrapped it around his shoulders. There was nothing more to be said, and he was anxious to go. The leave-taking between the two men was neither cordial nor more than barely courteous. De Batz nodded to Heron, who escorted him to the outside door of his lodging, and there called loudly to a soldier who was doing sentinel at the further end of the corridor. "'Show this citizen the way to the guichet,' he said curtly. "'Good-night, citizen,' he added finally, nodding to de Batz. Ten minutes later the Gascon once more found himself in the Rue du Temple, between the great outer walls of the prison and the silent little church and convent of St. Elizabeth. He looked up to where in the central tower a small grated window lighted from within showed the place where the last of the Bourbons was being taught to desecrate the traditions of his race, at the bidding of a mender of shoes, a naval officer cashiered for misconduct and fraud. Such is human nature in its self-satisfied complacency that de Batz, calmly ignoring the vile part which he himself had played in the last quarter of an hour of his interview with the committee's agent, found it in him to think of Heron with loathing, and even of the cobbler Simon with disgust. Then, with a self-righteous sense of duty performed, and an indifferent shrug of the shoulders, he dismissed Heron from his mind. That meddlesome scarlet Pimpernel would find his hands over full to-morrow, and mayhap will not interfere in my affairs for some time to come, he mused. Meseems that that will be the first time that a member of his precious league has come within the clutches of such unpleasant people as the sleuth-hounds of my friend Heron. End of chapter 8